chapter 16, verses 15 through 16. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Good evening and welcome again. We're grateful for your presence. We appreciate Raymond leading our singing tonight. We've had a great day, and for that we are thankful. We're going to be looking in just a moment or two at the passage that was read for us, Mark 16, 15, and 16. Before we do that, I do want to just make a couple of quick comments. I meant to, I meant to say something this morning and didn't do it, but I appreciate the young men leading our, leading our worship service last Sunday night. They did an outstanding job, as always, and I appreciate so much their abilities. I'm very grateful for the work that Jared and Brian and others do with them. They are, to me, a great inspiration. And the young men and women that we have in this congregation, I believe, set a great example. And they say to all of us that the church is in good hands in the future. And so we, we're very thankful for them and we appreciate them very, very much. We're also grateful to you if you're visiting tonight. We encourage you to come back and be with us at every opportunity. We're thankful for the number of visitors that come our way from week to week. And it may be that you're looking for a church home and we would invite you to give consideration to the work here. We would love to have you come and join hands with us as we try to make known New Testament Christianity in this community. One other thing that I want to mention, we are in a study on Tuesday mornings of the book of Revelation. Brother George is usually the one that does all the stumping for our class, but it is a good class and we have a number of people that come on a weekly basis from varying congregations around the city and we're very appreciative for them coming our way and it may be the case that, that you would like to come to class and I would encourage you to do that. We have notes and if you if you come for the first time this Tuesday, we'll have notes from previous classes, and I promise you that you'll be made to feel welcome, and we would love to have you. Tonight, we want to look at Mark 16, 15, and 16. I want to begin by saying that the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the greatest story ever told. Unfortunately, it seems to me that in our day and time, it has become the greatest story never told. The church and all of the great blessings associated with being a member of the church, being a New Testament Christian, unfortunately, I guess as believers, we have in many respects failed to tell others the great blessings associated with being a child of God. And so tonight I want us to think for a moment or two about the theme, the greatest story never told. And as we begin our study tonight, and I would encourage you to think very carefully with me about the things that we're gonna to discuss tonight because I believe that what we talk about tonight will impact the future of the church. The Bible tells us that the seed of the kingdom is the word of God and we understand and believe that if we sow the seed and it falls in good and honest hearts, it will ultimately yield fruit. Sadly, we have all of these great blessings as Christians, and in many respects, we keep them to ourselves. 
And so that's why I believe that the gospel has become the greatest story never told. We just fail to share it, as we should. To those who are constantly reaching out to others, trying to tell other people about Christ, to those I would commend. To others, to those of us maybe who are not as vocal with our friends, neighbors, coworkers, and classmates, I would encourage to begin telling others about Christ. So tonight we think about the greatest story never told. I want us to begin by taking a look back by way of evaluation at the first century church. We want to look back to the past and then we want to evaluate the church in the 21st century, a look at the present. When you look back at the past and you think about the church in the first century, there are a lot of things that literally leap off the page when you read the book of Acts. One of the things that stands out to me when I read, when I read the book of Acts in relationship to the gospel, that is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We have one gospel message and four gospel writers. And they present unto us biographical sketches of the life and times of Jesus, the Messiah. When we look at the New Testament, and begin zeroing in on the life and death of Jesus. We understand that the death of Christ was not the end. The Bible tells us that three days following his death, he was resurrected. And prior to ascending to heaven, he gave a command to preach the gospel to the whole world. So first we think about the command to evangelize. In Matthew 28, verse 19, Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In Mark 16, 15, and 16, Jesus said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. In Luke chapter 24 at verse 47, Jesus said that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name beginning at Jerusalem. So you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John recording for us the Great Commission. The commission reads to go, to preach and teach the gospel. That's what the first century saints were instructed to do. That's what the apostles were told to do by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here's a question. Did they comply with the teaching or command of our Lord? I think the answer would be yes. Let me just share with you some statements that I believe demonstrate that they complied to the command given by the Lord Jesus before he ascended to heaven. There are a number of verses that we might appeal to. I would begin by looking at Acts chapter 1 at verse 8. Before Jesus again ascended to heaven, he told the apostles in the first century, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses of me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth. They had the responsibility of carrying the gospel to a lost and dying world. The apostles, of course, they were the ones that laid the foundation, laid the groundwork in the preaching and teaching of the gospel. They were the ones that recorded for us, they and others, 
were the ones that recorded for us what we call the New Testament. When you turn to Acts chapter 2, Luke tells us that the church had its beginning on Pentecost Day. The first time that you read about the church in existence in the New Testament is the second chapter of Acts. On that day, the apostle Peter preached, along with the other apostles, the gospel. Multitudes of people were in the city of Jerusalem to observe Pentecost Day. And the Bible tells us that the focal point of their message was Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Peter points out that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead and that he now sits at the right hand of God. He is sitting upon a spiritual throne. It's David's throne. Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. In verse 36, Peter said, Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that this same Jesus, whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. Many of those assembled were cut or pricked in their hearts. And they cried out unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said on that great and notable day, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. Verse 41 says that on that day, some 3,000 people yielded obedience to the gospel. So the church had a great beginning. In verse 47, Luke tells us that the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. In chapter 4, at verse 4, Luke again tells us that many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. And then over in chapter 5, at verse 14, and believers were increasingly added to the Lord. Multitudes, both of men and women. In chapter 6, at verse 7, Luke tells us that the word of God spread and the number of disciples increased greatly in Jerusalem. A great company of priests became obedient to the faith. In chapter 8, a great persecution was said to have swept the early church. And many of those who were scattered abroad were said to have gone everywhere preaching the word. Philip, according to Luke in Acts chapter 8 at verse 5, went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ. So here's the question. What was going on in the first century? You had men and women taking to heart the Great Commission. And they were going out into the highways and byways and sharing the gospel with the lost and dying world. I believe that there were three very distinct characteristics that spawned growth in the New Testament church. There were three things that I believe the disciples in the first century manifested that led to tremendous growth, unparalleled growth in many respects. Let me just cite for you those characteristics very quickly. And I would say this, that if those characteristics manifested in the first century church if they work then, they'll work today. What was it that enabled these people to take the gospel to the then known world? You remember in Colossians chapter 1, at verse 23, Paul said that the gospel had been preached to the whole world some 30 years after the church began. The apostle Paul could say that the then known world 
had opportunity to hear the gospel of Christ. What was it that led to such great results in the first century church? Number one, I believe there was commitment on the part of men and women. Paul viewed himself as a debtor to other people. I believe that he realized the great blessings that had been afforded him in Christ and he wanted to do everything within his power to share it with others. So there was tremendous commitment on the part of men and women, young and old, in the church of the first century. But then there is a second, I believe, very important characteristic that they demonstrated, and that is conviction. When you link, when you link commitment and conviction, when I read the book of Acts over and over again, what leaps off the pages to me is that here were people that had genuine conviction. I mean, they believed in their heart of hearts that Jesus Christ was the Son of Almighty God. They believed that Jesus Christ built the church, that he purchased it with his own blood. They believed that men and women were lost and without hope if they did not have the opportunity to hear, believe, and obey the gospel. They had tremendous conviction. Let me just cite for you a great example of this. You remember in the third chapter of the book of Acts, Peter and John healed a man at the gate of the temple. In chapter four, we find that they were literally called on the carpet because of what they had done. The religious leaders, the Jewish people in that day, they wanted to know by what power or what name have you done this? Well, we know that because of Christ and because of the miraculous gifts that had been given unto them, going back to Pentecost Day, they had been the recipients of the baptismal measure of the Holy Spirit. They had the power or the ability to heal the sick and to do a lot of other things. But these men were called on the carpet and they wanted to know by what power or what name have you done this? And then Luke tells us that they were commanded not to teach nor preach in the name of Jesus. In verse 13, there is an interesting statement made about Peter and John. The Bible says that when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. They had enjoyed a very intimate relationship with the Lord. They had spent some three years with him. And they had heard many of the great messages that he had shared on a regular basis. They had sat at the feet of the master teacher. They had observed the numerous miracles that he had performed. They had rock solid conviction. They had spent enough time with Jesus, he had made a difference in their lives. And so the charges, the charges is set forth. You're not to teach nor preach in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what Peter and John said. Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. That is rock solid 
conviction. I want to ask this question. Do we have that kind of conviction today? Have we spent enough time with the Lord Jesus Christ through his word? Have we been on our knees enough in prayer to Almighty God that we have developed such an intimate relationship with the Lord that we're going to do whatever to share the name of Christ with others? Do we have that kind of conviction? And then there is a third thing. Not only did they have commitment and conviction, but I believe they had great courage. Courage that enabled them to speak the word boldly. If you look at chapter 4, Peter and John had been let go. And they had gone back to their companions and they rehearsed the events that had transpired. And the writer of the book of Acts tells us that they joined in unison in prayer to God. They prayed that with all boldness they might speak the word of God. Verse 29. In verse 31 of chapter 4, Luke said they spoke, they spoke the word of God with all boldness. So what do you have? You have commitment. Secondly, you have conviction. And thirdly, you have courage. If we have those same characteristics, I promise you, there is not a power on earth or under the earth that can keep us from sharing the gospel with a lost and dying world. Now, having in a very brief way, looked back at the past, evaluating the church of the first century. I want us to just jettison forward and evaluate the church in the 21st century. What we want to do is look at the present. Where are we today? And maybe, a, maybe another question might be, where do we plan to be in the future? But an honest, candid look at where we are in the 21st century. I want to begin by talking about the task of evangelism. I cited a moment ago what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John said regarding the Great Commission, and those words were spoken by the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18, that all authority, all power had been given unto him in heaven and on earth. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one who said nearly 2,000 years ago to go. In Matthew 28, verse 19, go therefore. In Mark 16, 15, go. The task is to go. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ expects of every one of us, to reach out to a lost and dying world. The Great Commission is still in effect. Was it given nearly 2,000 years ago? Yes, it was. Were, the member, were members of the church in the first century willing to share the gospel to people far and wide? The answer again is a resounding yes. Well, what about today? The task is still before us. The Bible still says to go. But what about some of the tools of evangelism? I think about men like Paul, Peter, or John. 
or for that matter, Jesus. Can you imagine what they would have done had they, had they been privileged to have access to the technologies of today? When we talk about the tools of evangelism, go back and look at the first century church. How did they spread the gospel? Did they have, did they have the internet? Television? Radio? Did they have duplicating machines where they could make multiple copies of CDs or DVDs? Well, we know the answer. No, they didn't. And yet Paul would say in Colossians 1.23 that the gospel had been taken to the world. That is the then known world in the first century. They didn't have television. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have telephones. They didn't have text messaging. They didn't have a lot of the tools that we have today. What they did have was commitment, courage, and conviction. It may have been the case that they were willing to walk wherever to share the gospel. Maybe they rode horseback. Maybe they set sail to share the gospel as Paul did. But whatever the case, the tools that we have at our disposal today are unbelievable. I'm convinced the Lord expects us to use the tools that we have before us today. We ought to be doing everything that we can to share the gospel via television, the radio, the internet, satellites, whatever the case may be, we've got to take the gospel to the world. But here's the third thing I want, to, I want you to consider with me. The trouble with evangelism. And there are a couple of things that I want to address here. Number one, why is it we are not evangelizing? I want to just be very honest. Why is it that we as members of the body of Christ tonight are not evangelizing, evangelizing like they did in the first century? Are there reasons why we fail to share the message? Let me cite for you three reasons that I believe have become problematic in the church. Number one, phobias. We're scared. I mean, let's just be honest. We are scared to sit down with other people and to talk to them about Jesus of Nazareth. Maybe, maybe one of the reasons we're scared is we say we just don't know enough. I want to ask you this question. If you were sitting across the table from a coworker, a classmate, somebody that you play golf with or some other recreational hobby, if you were talking to somebody across the fence or maybe a family member and they ask you, what's the Bible say I need to do to become a, a child of God? Without reaching for your Bible, could you, could you quote for them the plan of salvation? If somebody asks you the question, 
Do I really have to be a member of the church to go to heaven? Without reaching for your Bible, could you give an answer? I'm not minimizing the importance of Scripture because I think ultimately we want people to read it for themselves. But the point is, if we're not equipped with a thorough knowledge of the Word of God, then we can't, we can't share the gospel. If we can't sit down with somebody and talk to them one-on-one -on -one about here's what the Bible says that you have to do to be saved. Here's what the Bible says about the church of Christ. Here's what the Bible says about the acts of worship. Here's what the Bible says about all of the great blessings and favors that we enjoy in Christ. If we can't do that, something's wrong. Here's what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your heart always and be ready to give an answer to every man that asks you of the hope that's in you with meekness and fear. All Peter is saying is, we need to know the book. We've got to know the Bible. And the only way that we can know this book is to spend time in it. We've got to be like the psalmist of old who meditated on this law day and night, according to Psalm 1-2. Paul said, study to show yourselves approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Look at the Hebrew Christians. In Hebrews chapter 5, we have members of the body of Christ that had obeyed the gospel, they were in the church, and the writer said, when by reason of time you ought to be teachers, you have need that someone teach you again the fundamentals of the faith, basically. That's what he's saying. The first principles of the oracles of God. And the idea that he was trying to stress is you need, to, you need somebody to sit down with you and just go over the ABCs of Christianity. We will never be able to, to capture the world for Christ if we do not know the gospel of Christ. Just that simple. If you don't know the Bible, you can't share it with others. So, first, maybe we just don't know enough. A second phobia is maybe we're afraid of what people will think about us. You know what I mean here, don't you? If we talk to other people about Christ, they're going to think we're some kind of lunatic, aren't they? I mean, the 21st century? Talking about someone that lived nearly 2,000 years ago? The importance of salvation? The hope of heaven? We have enormous peer pressure in our world today. And there are folks today that look at people who are members of the body of Christ as old-fashioned, eccentric. Maybe they think that we're some kind of cult. Whatever the case may be, we can't worry about what people think about us. What we can do is take our cue from the Lord, share the gospel. Simply do what he said to do, go. There's a second reason why I believe we are not as evangelistic as we ought to be, and that is preoccupation. We're just too busy. We have too many things going on.
The Bible talks about in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4, those who are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Let's be honest. We've got time to go to ball games. We've got time to go to work. We've got time for recreational pursuits. We've got time to go to the mall. We've got time to go here and there and all over the world on trips and etc. But we, don't, we just don't have time to share the gospel. Why is that? We are too preoccupied. And let me, let me just make this observation very quickly. When we ask the question, why are we not evangelizing? If the Lord Jesus Christ is not first in our lives, you can bet we're not going to be evangelistic. One of the things that, that I strive to do, and I know maybe I sound like a broken record, I try to get people to come back on Sunday night and on Wednesday night. If I can't get people to come back and fill a pew on Sunday night or Wednesday night, why would I ever think that those same people would be evangelizing. The fact of the matter is, they're not. I dare say. Why? Because there is no commitment. There is no conviction. That's just cutting to the chase of the matter. That's the bottom line. I mean, we do what we want to do, whether young or old. We go here and there and do any and everything, but then when it comes down to the nitty-gritty and the work of the church, we don't have time. We ought to build a bigger fire. There's a third reason. Procrastination. Do you remember in Acts chapter 24, verse 25, the apostle Paul stood before Felix and Drusilla. He reasoned with them about righteousness self-control and the judgment to come. Felix said, go your way. When I have a more convenient season, I will call for you. What was the problem? He wasn't ready to commit. He procrastinated. How many of us say, you know what? Next year, I'm going to become more evangelistic. How many times do we say, I really intend to talk to so-and-so about the gospel? We may have good intentions, and that's all, well, that's all well and good. But we're not talking about good intentions. Good intentions will never get the job done. Do you understand what I'm saying? If we, if we don't execute the plan, then people will, will be lost in a devil's hell forevermore. So, Phobias, preoccupation, and procrastination. I want to ask a second question. When we ask the question, why is it we're not evangelizing? The second question that I think that I think it's equally important. What are the effects of not evangelizing? Two things here. Number one. We either evangelize or we will fossilize. We'll be like the dinosaurs of old. They'll read about us in the history books. A second thing, we either preach to people about the Lord Jesus Christ. We preach, 
we teach, we share the gospel with others, or they will perish. Have you ever thought about what it means to be lost? I'm talking about to be severed from all of the blessings and favors of Almighty God. You ever thought about what the Bible says regarding Gehenna, the hell of fire? The only hope people have to escape Gehenna, the hell of fire, is the gospel. That's why Paul and Peter and John and the other apostles and the first century saints, that's why they were so diligent in sharing the word with the lost and dying world. Jesus said, except you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. How can people come to a saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ if they have never heard of God's only Son? How can they obey the gospel if they've never heard it? How can they learn about the church if nobody's ever taken the time to discuss it? How can a person ever understand the magnitude of sin and the blight that it, that it has caused the human family unless we as members of the church are willing to discuss it? Finally, I want to talk for just a minute about the truth as it relates to evangelism. Here's the bottom line. God is going to hold us accountable for our evangelistic efforts or lack thereof. Paul said we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us must give an account of himself to God. I want to ask you this question. What if your best friend, your husband, wife, neighbor, co-worker, or classmate, what if that person very close to you were to be lost one day. You knew the truth. You knew what the gospel said, but you never shared that message with him or with her. Do you not think, do you not think that God will not hold you responsible? Good intentions, well and good, but we need to understand the Great Commission is priority one. People need the gospel. I think about people that may be lost. They were with us on a daily basis. We ate together. We laughed together. We cried together, we golfed together, we did things together as a family, but we never shared the gospel. You want to talk about, you want to talk about something 
that will get you. That'll get you. I have no doubt there are people in eternity as we speak that you and I have interacted with. We've talked to them. Maybe we've eaten with them. Maybe we've done a lot of things with them. But they never heard about Jesus and his church because we never said anything. We never said a word. If that's the case, the appeal that I'm making tonight, let's change that trend. Look, I can't do anything about the past. The past is the past. I can repent for times when I have not been as evangelistic as I should have been. And you can do the same. When I stand out on the plains of eternity, I do not want blood to be on my hands. I want to be able to stand before Almighty God and say that I did everything within my power to share the gospel with every person I could. I don't want to look across the aisle and see somebody that I knew intimately who is lost, never obeying the gospel because I did nothing. I promise you, if we do nothing, people will do nothing. If we sow the seed and it falls on good and honest hearts, it'll yield fruit. I have no power over how people react to the gospel. All I can do is sow the seed and God will give the increase. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we're so thankful for this day, for the blessings that we enjoy in this life. We're thankful for your love and your care. We're thankful for the gospel, the greatest story ever told. And Father, we ask that you would forgive us for our shortcomings in sharing the gospel. Help us to recapture the zeal the commitment, the conviction, and the courage of the first century church. Forgive us when we fail, and forgive us for we have failed. And help us, Holy Father, to be a light shining in a darkened world. Help us to be what you would have us to be, and may one day we have a home with you in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, our appeal to you, come to Christ. Believing, the, believing that Jesus is the Son of God, John 8, 24. If we can baptize you into Christ, the Bible says God will add you to the church, Acts 2, 47, and you'll be well on your way to a place called heaven. If you're here tonight and you're not faithful, why not come home? Come home tonight as we stand and sing.